Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Today, uh, we are going to now finish off on the book of Daniel, and I'm just, and I will, actually I will, um, I'll do some Q&A at the end of this, so if you have any questions from the book of Daniel that might have been floating around in your mind over the last couple of months or three months since we've been doing this, um, feel free to uh, bring that question at the end. We might have a microphone or if you can yell it out loud enough, we can all hear it. Uh, we usually use Slido app, but I haven't got myself set up today to use the Slido app, so we, we'll just take a question from the floor from the book of Daniel. But we're going to wrap up these last three chapters today, uh, Daniel 10 through to 12, and that, it is actually one unit of thought, these last three chapters. It's not sort of three distinct things. Uh, the three cha- Well, actually, the chapters and the verses weren't inspired. The Bible's inspired, but not so much the chapters and verses. Uh, they were put together by a man a few hundred years ago to help us actually find places in the Bible, but doesn't necessarily mean that chapter's a unit of thought, that chapter's a unit of thought. Chapters 10 to 12 is actually one unit of thought there with Daniel. But to help set the scene where we're going to go, um, have you ever heard of this saying before? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Yep, you have heard of that saying before, good. Often they'll say that around a job promotion or something like that. Yeah, it's not what you know, it's who you know that actually got you up uh, the ladder. Or if you get into the rooms of a famous football club like Collingwood, it's not what you know, it's who you know gets you through the door into something like that. Um, Well, we're going to see a picture somewhat like that today with Daniel's visions here unfolded for us. And it will be this, to stand and endure to the end will be a matter of who we know. Namely, knowing God. That's how we'll stand and endure through to the end. So in your Bibles, please go to Daniel. Karina read so well for us before chapter 10. We're not going to read chapter 11, but we are going to read chapter 12. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about chapter 11 uh, in the middle of that as we progress through. So go to chapter 12. We're going to read those 13 verses there. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars for ever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. 
Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at, at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. <clears throat> uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can come now to the end of the book of Daniel. Lord, a strange and perplexing book in so many ways. Uh, written thousands of years ago, but this word, this book speaks into our hearts and lives today. We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, please, uh, would you come now and open our eyes up to see what's happening here in these final chapters of Daniel, and that, Lord, you would enable us to stand because of who you are and that you revealed yourself to us. Uh, Lord, we ask for that help now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have, we have reached the end of the book of Daniel. This book has spanned more than 70 years from Daniel chapter 1 through to Daniel chapter 12. And we've witnessed there Daniel, uh, a young man in his teens, now actually an old man in his late 80s and maybe even his early 90s. Who knows? Uh, Israel, under God's right judgment because they turned their back on the Lord and went their own selfish way, uh, were invaded by Babylon and taken away into exile, which is the backdrop of this book of Daniel here. Uh, they've been now exiled into this pagan, godless culture with all their dreams and hopes smashed. Uh, if you want to go back to our initial talk, you go back to the YouTube and you can see talk number one where we did this. We actually set up the context here uh, for Daniel, but it was just a disaster for the nation of Israel because they forsook the Lord. But ultimately, God hasn't forsaken them, though. God's been working through a remnant of people who stayed faithful and true to him all the way through. Uh, those who held their God-centered convictions in a culture of compromise. And we've seen this uh, numbers of times through the book of Daniel. God has shown himself there to be mighty to save and restore on countless occasions through the book of Daniel despite their captivity for the Israelites at that particular time. God himself shows that he, he isn't held captive by anyone or any power. That was a thought that the um, Israelites had at the time. They thought when they were smashed by the Babylonians, well, God must be small and weak and the Babylonian God must be stronger. God kept showing himself mighty to save, mighty to rescue, right throughout the book of Daniel. So we went through those individual stories of God's deliverance in the first six chapters. And a lot of those you'll hear at NAC Kids. You might have heard them before. Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the fiery furnace. Uh, true accounts of God's deliverance and God showing himself sovereign and mighty to rescue and to save. So we saw them in those individual chapters 1 to 6. Then in chapters 7 to 12, the second half of the book, Daniel's given now these strange visions and revelations things that he has seen and God's given to him, namely about the future dealings that will take place with God's people uh, in the years to come or the centuries to come as well. These visions that Daniel receives, these revelations that Daniel receives, 
are there to grow hope and trust in a sovereign God who knows the end from the beginning. They're unsettling to read through, but it actually helps us to see that God is in control. And that's a big theme here that runs right through the book of Daniel. Uh, Yes, these visions are startling and there are unsettling when you look at them, but the point is that the sovereign Lord will never leave or forsake his people despite how he ordains events to take place in the world. He's always there. He's always working out his purposes. So this is where we're going to go again today as we think about this vision given to Daniel. The Lord enables us to stand and endure through troubling times, through his sovereign rule, and reign over this broken world. The Lord will enable us to stand and to endure through troubling times that we may face through his sovereign rule and reign over this broken world. Let's jump into these three chapters and uh, let's have a look. So Daniel chapter 10, we're not going to obviously go through verse by verse on these three chapters here, but Daniel chapter 10 is a preamble, as it were, to the vision where we see it take some sort of physical toll on Daniel himself. Daniel's been in prayer and fasting for three weeks over the state of Israel. We uh, read there before, withheld from himself all those delicacies, the nice things of life, and just maybe lived on bread and water for three weeks. Um, prayer and fasting over the state of Israel because if we think about also what's happened at this point in time, some of the people have been released by King Cyrus to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. They go back there though and they just find this place is just a shambles. It's just a smoking ruin still and they are just overwhelmed by it and they lose heart in rebuilding the temple. It's a bit like they've gone back and thought, this is too much for us. So they're actually depressed and despaired. Daniel's standing now by the river Tigris and probably sees the Son of God here, probably sees Jesus, the Son of God, in chapter 10, verses 5 to 6. Uh, If you read that description of what Daniel sees there and then go to Revelation chapter 1 and see what John sees, it's nearly word for word there what's actually taking place. There's a real parallel here, what's going on there. Uh, The vision of the Son of God that that Daniel sees, he's left powerless and actually goes to the ground. He's so overawed and overwhelmed with this vision that he sees here. And not only that, but if if you remember what uh, Corinna read before, there were some others with Daniel who didn't see the vision, but they sensed the presence of that being that was there. And what did they do? They fled in terror. They didn't just walk away, they fled in terror. So that gives you a bit of a sense here of what he's seen in this real vision. And then we see some insight there, which we'll come back to in a moment, this supernatural spiritual warfare that's taking place between uh, angels and demonic powers. Now, it's, it's really difficult for us to understand what's going on, but we, we see a bit, and we'll come back and talk about that in a moment. Then we see an angel strengthen Daniel, so because he's seen this, this vision, possibly of the Son of God, to stand up on his or hands and knees initially just to get off the ground. We see that. And then what we actually then begin to see is the body of this vision that he's about to be explained is right through Daniel chapter 11. So 10 is like preparing us, 11 is the vision, and then 12 is like um, some thoughts beyond that. So we're going to jump into uh, chapter 11 now. Again, we're not going to go verse by verse thinking through this because there's a lot here we can spend time. But we're going to expand a little on some of the verses and then give a summary statement here of what Daniel sees and what he's told is going to happen in the future 
to come. Firstly, in verses 1 to 4 of 11, is a picture of the Babylonian or Persian kingdom, because don't forget, Babylon conquered Israel, but then they got overcome by the Persians and the Medes, so there's lots of stuff happening even in these six or seven decades here. Uh, He's told there's going to be three more kings will come from this Persian empire, and then he said he's going to be defeated by a Greek king. Three more kings, and then a Greek king will come, and they will defeat all the Persian Empire at that point in time. Now, we know who that Greek king is. That is Alexander the Great. Peter's got a son called Alexander. Did you name him after him? Oh, Catherine, okay. <laughs> Catherine the Great. Okay, right, oh, yeah. There it is, there it is. It's all coming out there. So Alexander the Great is this king spoken about here. And if you follow that through, he says this, this king gives his, this breaks the kingdom to the four winds of heaven. What he's saying at this point is, Alexander the Great died at the age of 33, very young, but before he died, he broke his kingdom up into four specific areas and gave four generals control of those areas. You can go to history books, you can go to Wikipedia, you can go to Google, you can search all that up, and it's true. Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire, died at a young age. Before he died, he broke up his kingdom and went into four different directions. That's all in the Bible and that's all in history as well. Then in chapter 11, verses 5 through to 20, we see these multiple conflicts. And you probably read through it. Hopefully you did do the pre-read. You're reading through it and you're thinking, what the heck is happening in these 15 verses here between verses 5 and 20? What's happening there is these multiple conflicts between these generals and kings, the ones that Alexander the Great had initially set up, and they become southern kings and northern kings. Some rule in the south, some rule in the north. And very quickly, this settles into two family lines that, the, that were represented by these kings. The, uh, the Ptolemies, Joe helped me out with a... Did I get that right, Joe? Pretty close. There's a silent P there, but you'll see it in a second. The Ptolemies reigned in the south and the Seleucids in the north. These are the two lots of kings broken up by Alexander the Great. So I've got a table here that will help us see that. Just show that first one, Joe. Kings of the south, they're not Ptolemies. Ptolemies. Uh, this is all recorded in history. Okay, This is Alexander the Great and then he breaks down all these kings. Then there's another one now from the north. Next slide there, Joe. Uh, these are the kings of the north, the Seleucids. So I'm just helping you to see here, this is what's unpacking in chapter 11. All these various kings. Now you're not going to find their names in chapter 11, but this is what chapter 11 is talking about. You'll read through there about some of them giving their daughter in marriage to someone else to try and win this back, and then that didn't work, and that one gave his daughter to that one. It's all being unpacked in chapter 11 here as we see this uh, history uh, being unfolded. So what, this is what Daniel has shown here. It's, it's the future history of these kings battling. That's what's happening right through 11. It's conflict. They're battling for supremacy and control over each other. They're trying to just take more ground and assert their dominance and they'll pacify that one by sending the daughter to try and, you know, win him back or whatever. That's what it is. Now the really interesting point here about this is have a guess where Israel is placed between these kings of the south and the kings of the north. It's right in the middle. 
The land of Israel is right in the middle between these north and south kingdoms. It's staggering when you think about it because today Israel's again in this hotbed of um, trouble. So that's this interesting point here. Now, in verse 21 of chapter 11, we see the introduction of the last uh, Seleucid king, Antiochus Epiphanes. If you had to go back, go back to that one, Seleucid one. There is on the bottom there. Antiochus the fifth of the fifth, the fourth, my Roman numerals, the fourth, Epiphanes, um, he's introduced, not by name, but he comes in verse 21 of chapter 11. Now, this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, he is off the charts when it comes to being evil and a tyrant. There is no scale to measure him in his evilness. He's a deceiver and a liar through and through to achieve his wicked ends. He's a northern king who makes a number of raids on the south, and we we see this again documented through chapter 11, but they're mostly unsuccessful. Every now and again he, he consumes some of their treasures and takes it back, and you might gain a little bit of ground, but mostly he's beaten back every time. And on a handful of occasions when he makes these raids down south, to try and capture more ground and assert his dominance and supremacy and all those things, and he's beaten off, he comes back through Israel and he unloads his anger on the Jews on the way through. He just explodes on them. On one occasion, history records for us, he's come back from a um, defeat and he kills 80,000 Jews over a few days. It's just mass slaughter as he's angry about, about losing his last battle. That's one thing he does. Now, you're probably thinking, didn't we talk about this guy a few weeks ago? Well, really, probably chapters 10 and 12, maybe it could be another retake on chapter 8. The, the theologians aren't entirely sure on this, but there's a bit of similarity through that. And, and remembering also, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, that um, Antiochus Epiphanes set up an altar inside the Jewish temple So alongside the altar, they were burning their sacrifices to Yahweh. He sets up an altar alongside that to the the Greek god Zeus and then he sacrifices pigs on that altar in total disrespect um, to the Lord as a mockery to to, um, Israel's god Yahweh. Antiochus Epiphanes is is just one bad, bad dictator, as bad as it can get. And all it did was cause mayhem and violence on God's people. And we see that picked up through verses 30 to 35 of chapter 11, where it it talks about him. Then we move to verse 36 to 45. It's like a rerun again here of Antiochus Epiphanes as well and the atrocities that he carried out. I just want to grab two verses here that pick up this wickedness that he carried out against the nation of Israel. Have a look in verses 30 to 31, and we'll, we'll bring this up on the screen for you as well. Here it is. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw. So we're talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. He's going to be afraid and withdraw. And shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. That's the people of Israel, the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. It's the description here of what this Antiochus uh, Antiochus Epiphanes is about to do. He's going to desecrate the temple, 
probably at this point set up the altar of Zeus and profane it by sacrificing pigs there. Next one in verse 41, we see this. He, we're talking about the same person, Antiochus Epiphanes, he shall come into the glorious land, that's Israel. He's going to come back through Israel after being defeated uh, by the southern kingdoms. And tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Detailing there a massacre that will take place. This is all future. This is all being told to Daniel, this is what's going to happen. Now we could spend hours and hours just pulling apart all these various verses and various connections in chapter 11, but we're not going to do that today. But what we can see, though, is what the Lord is showing Daniel is completely accurate. Completely accurate. You can go into history books and you can actually see these things coming to fruition here that has been prophesied and given to Daniel at this particular time. Here's the summary statement, though, that we want to pick up that sort of encapsulates what's happening here in these chapters. The future of Israel or God's people. So this is we're talking about the future of God's people. The future of Israel or God's people will have trials and troubles from time to time. It's getting documented through chapter 11 there. And at times, this future will be horrendously evil and grieving. Daniel's told this. This is what's going to happen to your people. But at the same time, there is deliverance from the Lord. We'll see that summary in 12 verse 1. Let's, let's have a look at that now. At that time shall arise Michael, this is an angelic being, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So he's telling that there's going to be horrendous time coming for your people, such as never been before. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. That, that's the, the thrust of this passage here in 11. It's this devastation at periods and times that will come upon the nation of Israel or God's people. Now if we just stop and think about that for a moment, times of war and evil acts weren't just around those times, were they? And that was it. It's actually still happening today. The land of Israel is still in the media like big time. It's frontline news. It's a hotbed for trouble and violence. I mean, the evil raid by the Hamas terrorists is like something straight out of the Bible. If you think about even the, the barbaric nature of what it was like, it's a bit like reading about the Philistines, if you want to sort of get real about it. It's a bit like reading about the Philistines coming out and making a raid on Israel and they murder and they rape and they loot and they take hostages. Now, when you think about what's taken, it, it's it's barbaric what has taken place. They've just come in and killed innocent civilians, stolen things, and then just taken a whole bunch of women and kids and held them as hostages now back in Palestine. It's like something straight out of the Bible when you think about it like that. And there's a real sense here, I think, of Satan filled with hatred towards anything associated with God. It's like Satan's hatred breathing through these evil organisations, and particularly at this point targeted towards Israel. Now, there's 
the, the Israel of the Old Testament isn't, doesn't have the same significance as the Israel in the New Testament. There's a definite change there. But still, Satan has this rage against anything associated with God and particularly this land of Israel. And that's what we see here. This, this rage of Satan is carried out by these evil dictators and regimes over the centuries. Not just the last decade or two that we might be aware of. If you've done any history, I mean, think about World War II. What was one of Adolf Hitler's main aims? Exterminate the Jews. What did he do? He took out six million under his orders. He killed six million Jews. Certain branches today of the Islamic faith also want to rid the world of Jews. That's their mandate. Kill the Jews. The world will be better off without the Jews. I'm convinced, totally convinced, that there's satanic realms working through in trying to crush and kill the Jewish nation. No question about that. And I'll tell you what I'm also surprised by um, is the anti-Jewish feeling growing within the media and around some aspects of the world. From Western democratic nations, it's like they've got this anti-Semitic, this anti-Jewish feeling towards the Jews. I'm thinking, are you not thinking about the 200 plus women and children that are held hostage and you're worried about this anti-Semitic thing? It's astounding when you think about this. Again, this is this is this um, you know, enragement of Satan working through various channels towards God's people. Now, if we think about war, it's lunacy, isn't it? War is irrational. Now, it's different when you're defending, I get that. But the sense of, when you think about the idea of war, of, of killing and destroying, it just it's irrational. What drives that? It's like a, you know, a schoolyard fight that sort of goes next level and just gets out of control. It's just anger and revenge and they just go and kill people and destroy property. Now, I'm thinking what drives a group like the Hamas terrorists to go into Israel and to do what they do with all the destruction and murder and really that they know Israel is going to defend itself so now they actually go and run back into their territory and now they drag all the civilians into the crossfire of this. I think, what are you guys thinking about? You're going to bring pain and misery across multitudes of people. War is just sheer madness. It's man's passions out of control. So we also see here in Daniel chapter 10 this well, as well this supernatural spiritual warfare going on too. Again, you would have read there that Daniel was praying for three weeks, but you know, sorry, he prayed, but for three weeks before the angel could get through with the answer. Then we're not we're not given any detailed description here, but what we can see is that there's an unseen realm. There's an unseen realm here that is some type of cosmic battle going on. It talks about fighting with each other uh, in the sense of real demonic spiritual forces that are opposing the people and the work of God and then we have these angels at the same time that are sent in as it were to do battle with these demonic forces now I sort of read that and I think I don't know what's going on there sorry in big picture I know what's going on but in detail what does that look like 
is there, is there some sort of physical wrestling or what? What is, we don't know, but we are aware of there's something taking place in the spiritual realm that is actually a conflict. Now I know this, if we were given a sneak peek into that supernatural realm, we would be scared witless with what we saw. We would be scared witless. The strongest of us would just melt in terror if we were just given a tiny glimpse of what was taking place in that spiritual realm. But we read it there, it's real. It goes on as we speak today all over the world. And I don't doubt here in Shepparton as well, here in the Golden Valley. Because the demonic forces are wanting to crush the gospel and crush God's people all over the world. Now, praise the Lord, he does keep it unseen from us because we we'd be like those other guys fleeing in terror from what we see. Praise the Lord, he keeps us unseen from us. But that's happening. There's a real demonic activity taking place, but there's angels in there working, fighting at the very same time. So here is the Lord of time, God, giving Daniel a look into the future. God is telling Daniel about future events that will involve his people. Future events here with evil people carrying out mass atrocities against the people of of God. What is God doing? He's revealing here the evilness of humanity when they leave God out of their thinking and out of their lives. That's the picture we see. And I think here there's a real sense that Daniel doesn't fully get it because he mentions there in chapter 12 at some point, I don't understand. I'm not sure. But ultimately the Lord tells Daniel, okay, we need to seal this book up. There'll be no more details, there'll be no more revelation about that. From Daniel's perspective, but he doesn't, he can't make full sense out of it. Now, we can somewhat, from 2023, we get a little bit of insight because we can look back over those events. We might have a little bit more insight than Daniel at this particular time, but there's one thing that we can see there, and it was back in 12, verse 1, that the Lord will deliver his people. So he didn't leave Daniel there without any hope. It wasn't like it's going to be a disaster and bad luck. He left him with hope to say there would be deliverance. So what the question we need to ask ourselves as we think about that is, what does Daniel stand on or what does Daniel trust in the Lord here in the face of war and difficulty for deliverance, for escape, for hope? See, Daniel wasn't going to have to face what was prophesied in the future for him. That was like centuries away, but he still had to face a godless pagan culture he still had to stand on something in the light of those forces working against him but we know others would have to face this and history has shown us that they have faced these atrocities here in Israel and their people are still facing today so what is it they're going to stand on for this strength to endure these difficult times well here's how we stand here's how we endure and persevere through to the end whatever that may be whether we are delivered from evil people or we're actually ordained to suffer under evil people. Here's how we stand. It's in verses 32 and 33 of chapter 11. Now he's talking here about Antiochus Epiphanes, but there's a principle here which is what we need to grab. He, Antiochus Epiphanes, shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Take note of these next words. 
But the people who know their God shall fall over. Doesn't say that, does it? But the people who know their God shall what? Stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. The people who know their God shall stand firm. They won't wobble at the knees. They won't run and hide. They won't roll over. The people who know their God shall stand firm. You see, Daniel knew God and he stood firm in Babylon. He stood firm in a compromising culture. Daniel knew God and had some incredibly big things about God revealed to him while he was in exile. Here's something that Daniel saw about God that enabled him to stand firm. Have a look with me in Daniel chapter 4, 34 and 35. This is at the end of Nebuchadnezzar when he went mad and he he came back to himself. And this is the revelation he got. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him, that is God, who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Read this next line. And none can stay his hand. And none can stay God's hand. Or none can say to God, what have you done, God? That's probably the central passage in the book of Daniel that God would communicate to us. Every situation, every vision that has unfolded before Daniel here, every situation through chapters 1 to 6, every vision and revelation from Daniel 7 to 12, ultimately bows the knee to the sovereign Lord of the universe. Everything that we see unfolded bows the knee to the sovereign Lord of the universe. Kings and kingdoms will come and they will go. Antiochus Epiphanes will come and cause murder and mayhem, but he goes. Hitler will kill six million Jews, but then he goes. Terrorist groups will carry out murder and kidnapping supported by evil governments around the world, but at some point they will go. We just had nearly 10 or 11 years under a Premier of Victoria who's done a lot of anti-God things, he's gone. Kings and kingdoms will go. But God's sovereignty rules over all forever and forever. This is the sort of stuff that Daniel sees here and he knows about God. Those who know their God will stand, will endure. Daniel arrives in Babylon as a teenager and it just looks like Depression and despair because the nation's been crushed and defeated. He spends 70 plus years in this godless pagan culture that most of the time just mocked the Lord. 
Go to Psalm 137 there and you'll hear that famous song by the rivers of Babylon. It's like the soldiers taunting the Israelites in Babylon. Sing us one of those songs you used to sing in Jerusalem. You know, just mocking them while they're there. That's what he had to put up with. How did he endure all those years? 70 years. From a 15 or 16 year old now to an 85 or an 86 year old. Those who know their God will stand. Those who know that God is their God will stand. How do we know God today? Well, it's through Jesus Christ that we get the ultimate revelation of who God is. Let's look at how Paul talks of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Have a look in Colossians chapter 1 here. Paul gives us a vision of God. He, Jesus, he, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, everything's a big word, he might be preeminent, supreme above all things. For in him, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Christ, to reconcile himself to all things. Anything that's not with him, he will reconcile it whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God. How do we stand today and endure in the face of the fears that this world will throw at us? How do we stand today and endure when anxiety tries to overwhelm us from many different fronts in life? Those who know their God will stand. Think about it. When we begin to stop and build our hearts on who Jesus is, that strengthens us to be able to go through anything. When we stop and we think about what's said about him there in Colossians, that builds amazing power within me. Those who truly know who Jesus is are invincible. That doesn't mean you won't die but you're given a strength and an ability to cope with whatever comes in life. You will never die because you live eternally with Christ. That sort of knowledge, knowing God, builds uh, unbelievable foundations in our life, breeding within us peace and comfort and joy despite what we're going through. How do we know God today? How do we sit here today and how do we know God? We do what we're doing right now. We open up God's word. Jesus is no longer with us. He was on this earth for just 33 years. He's no longer with us, but he's still with us, though, by his word and his spirit coming alive in our hearts. And what do we do? We open up the Bible and we read about God from the, uh, from the, word, the scripture and the Holy Spirit brings Christ alive within us. That's how we know about Jesus today. Let me tell you, friends, we would be 
utterly lost without this. Hopelessly lost without this. And if you're not immersed in this, I fear you are already hopelessly lost. This is where we discover the Lord. He reveals himself through the pages of scripture and then he makes his home in our hearts as we put our trust and belief in him. That is how we know the Lord. Now as we wrap up the book of Daniel, there's a challenge here that Daniel leaves for us in this last chapter. Will we be wise or will we be foolish in knowing God? Have a look with me in Daniel chapter 2 and we'll read that again, verses 2 and 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Who are the wise? Who are the wise in this uh, book of Daniel? The wise are those who know their God. That's who the wise are. And what will they do? They will rise to shine like the stars forever in the glory of God. That's who the wise are. They know their God. Who are the foolish? Those who don't know God and refuse to follow him. They are the foolish. What will they rise to? They will rise to to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus is calling us to be wise, to come to him, to know him, and to shine like the brightness of the sky forever and forever. That's the message of Daniel here. It's the message of Christ. It's the message of salvation. It's the message of the sovereign Lord. Despite the troubles and the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our lives, there is a hope And that hope is given to us through Christ. Will you be wise or will you be foolish? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we're able to come to these last chapters of Daniel. And uh, Lord, see unsettling, maybe startling visions of future atrocities and future challenges and all types of harm or mayhem. But Lord, you don't leave us without hope. The book of Daniel is a book of hope for us. The God who doesn't forsake, the God who doesn't leave, the God who sovereignly rules and reigns over everything. The God who brings himself to this world physically through Jesus Christ. Father, today we want to pray that you would help us to know you. Help us, Lord, to come and to fill our hearts and minds with the truth of your word. Let these convictions grip our hearts and grow us deep in you so that when fear and anxiety, whatever it might be, Lord, comes our way, that those who know their God will stand. When our faith is put on the line and our convictions are tested, those who know their God will stand. Help us to be a people today that are knowing you, and growing in that knowing, Lord, as well. Lord, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. 
Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.